Well, to start the sermon today, I want to begin by pointing out that during his life in ministry on earth, Jesus was very concerned about the future church. He worked very hard to ensure that all of the plans were in place for the church to be created after his death, his resurrection and ascension, and that his apostles especially were prepared to do the very difficult job of putting in place the church that would be the presence of Christ on earth. That's why Jesus exerted so much energy, spent so much time with the twelve apostles that would be the foundation of the church and who would be responsible for creating that body on earth until Christ returns. It's why Jesus traveled with them, he ate with them, he taught the apostles for three years. It's why he spent another 40 days with them between his resurrection and ascension to make sure that those who would be the beginning of the church were ready for that difficult task. But most especially, Jesus promised his followers that they would not be left alone when he ascended into heaven, but that he would have God the Father send God the Holy Spirit to be with them. And on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts 2, that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit came upon the followers of Jesus to teach and guide and inspire them from that day on until the present. Now, the Holy Spirit had always existed in the Old Testament as the third person of the Holy of the Trinity of God. In fact, the very second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-2, tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters during creation. So, in the second verse of the Bible, we are told that the Holy Spirit is present. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit fulfilled a series of what we might call special assignments. He would proceed forth at the request of God the Father, and he would perform special acts like inspiring the prophets to speak and to write of God's will for his people. But always after the completion of these special tasks, the Holy Spirit would then be described as withdrawing back to heaven, back to the presence of God the Father. But Jesus promised in John 14, verse 18, and elsewhere, that when he departed from earth, he would ask the Father in heaven to send the Holy Spirit to remain forever. He uses that word in John 14. That the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, would remain forever with those who loved and followed Jesus. And that is what happened beginning, as I said, at Pentecost. And since then, every person who has confessed faith in Christ has received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us. He resides in us to encourage and comfort us. In fact, the Holy Spirit has a number of different roles that he plays in the life of us believers. Many of the things he does for us Christians personally. He convicts us of our sin and draws us to Jesus. He washes and renews us. He leads us into truth. He teaches, guides, sanctifies, and even prays for us when we don't know how to pray for ourselves. All of these things and more the Holy Spirit does for us personally as followers of Jesus. But there are several things the Holy Spirit also does for the sake of the entire church, the body of Christ, the entire gathering of believers as a whole. And that brings us to the scripture I want us to focus on for the next few minutes. It's from the 12th chapter of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, and then skipping down to verse 4 through 11. Hear now this which is the word of the Lord. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. 
There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Here we are told that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to all believers, all followers of Christ. And in this passage, seven different gifts are specifically mentioned. The gifts of wisdom, of knowledge, of faith, of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing or discerning between spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now elsewhere, in both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, other gifts are identified both in individual references and in other lists, particularly in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Gifts such as administration, hospitality, evangelism, leadership, teaching, service, and intercession. In all, there are at least 22 specific gifts that Scripture tells us are given to Christians by the Holy Spirit. Now, some churches don't list that many because some churches have chosen to leave out all of the the extraordinary expressive gifts like tongues, interpretation of tongues, and that sort of thing. But these are listed, and we believe they are in the Word of God for a reason. Note that these are all, all of them, considered supernatural gifts from God. They are given by the Spirit to those who follow Jesus. This doesn't simply refer to a human skill or an ability that someone has, like the ability to sing or make art. Though spiritual gifts may be manifest in our lives through such abilities. These are gifts that are given especially and even miraculously by God. And to understand them, we need to first understand there are two major points that we often, almost usually, overlook about the spiritual gifts. And yet, they are clearly stated here in the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. The first of those facts is that every Christian is given one or more spiritual gifts by God the Holy Spirit. Every single Christian has one or more gifts. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 here makes it very clear when it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given. To each one here means to everyone. Every person who accepts Christ is given the Holy Spirit, and every person who receives the Holy Spirit receives one or more spiritual gifts. There are no exceptions to that. There is no allowance for people who are shy, or people who don't want to get involved, or people who insist that they don't have any special gifts, who want to sneak into the service after it starts and sneak out before it ends. Every single Christian is given one or more supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's the first point that people tend to overlook about the spiritual gifts. And the second thing that is often overlooked is found in the rest of verse 7, when it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. God the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to all Christians for a reason, so that the needs... All of the needs of the body of Christ, the church, will be met. 
Each of us is gifted in some way that is needed for the common good of the church. There are no exceptions to that. All of the needs of the body of Christ, the church, should be met if we are all practicing the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. As I said earlier, Jesus was very concerned during his earthly ministry to ensure that everything was in place and everything was prepared so that the church would be established and would grow after his departure. And the growth of the church in the first century, within 70 years of Jesus' death before the end of the first century, was, is unequaled in anything. God the Holy Spirit, by inspiring those who were the followers of Jesus, allowed for a kind of growth in the early church we have never seen in any other institution everywhere. And a primary way that Jesus prepared for the growth of the church was by teaching and preparing the apostles. But an equally important way was to send the Holy Spirit to miraculously provide spiritual gifts to every member of the church for all of the past 2,000 years. Now, the reason there's such a variety of gifts, as I said, at least 22, and the reason every Christian receives one or more gifts is so that all of the needs of the body would be met. When leadership is needed, the Holy Spirit will provide in every congregation, every local Christian church, He will raise up people who are gifted in leadership, pastoring, wisdom, discernment, and administration. To train people in the faith, the Holy Spirit will gift people for teaching, for exhortation, and for knowledge. To grow the church, the Holy Spirit gives gifts of faith, of evangelism, and of giving. Now, some of these, like faith and giving, are something we all should do. But when the gift of faith or the gift of giving is, is, is placed in a Christian by the Holy Spirit, that means they have an extraordinary ability, an extraordinary wisdom. They have faith to move mountains as opposed to our ordinary faith that most of us have. Or they have the ability to give wisely and in ways that will make a fundamental difference in the growth of the body of Christ. To encourage and nurture the church, the Holy Spirit gives gifts of helps, of service, mercy, healing, and miracles, and so on. Whatever the need is in the body, as Jesus promised, every one of those needs of the church has been, and until Jesus returns, will be provided for through the gifts given to Christians by the Holy Spirit. But there is one qualification here. While God the Holy Spirit gives every gift that is needed by the church, God does not make any of us do anything. God has never forced people to do even the things they were gifted for. Every one of us has to be willing to recognize that the Holy Spirit has gifted us for the common good and we have to be willing to make the effort to use those gifts in service of others in the body of Christ and to the outer community as well. If there are needs that are going unmet in our church or in any church, it is because someone who is a follower of Jesus is not stepping up and serving the way God intended by using the gift that the Spirit has given them. We talked about this a little bit in the men's breakfast this past week. God has promised to provide everything that we need as a church, both for us to be spiritually healthy and for us then to be able to serve those outside the church as he has called us to serve. If we are failing as a church ever in any way, it is because some of us have not yet accepted the responsibility to work for the kingdom in the way God has prepared us for and in the ways he expects us to serve. So the question, 
Are you using your spiritual gift in the service of the body of Christ, as each of us is called to do? Are you ministering to the common good of the body in the way God has prepared you to? Well, for some of you who've never really thought about it, perhaps the first question you need to ask is, what is my spiritual gift? How do I know what I'm gifted to do? What the Holy Spirit has enabled me miraculously to provide to the common good of the body? Well, there are a number of quite good, I think, spiritual assessment tools, personal spiritual assessment tools online. And while they're not perfect, they can be helpful. And anyone can go online and look up spiritual gift assessment and find a number of tools that you answer questions, and from the answers you give to those questions about what you're good at, what you feel blessed by, how you've been involved, it will help you. It's not perfect, but it can help you identify your spiritual gift or gifts, because some people have more than one. I am also looking into getting printouts of spiritual assessment tools, and hope to make those available to you in the next couple of weeks because I want to spend the next few weeks talking about some of the spiritual gifts, what they mean. What does the, spirit, uh, the gift of discernment mean? What does the gift of exhortation mean? And so on. But even without an assessment tool, I believe you can do a pretty good job of identifying your spiritual gift if you think about it and you pray about it. And here's how you can do that. First, ask God to show you what your giftedness is, how the Holy Spirit has gifted you, and how you need to serve using that gift. Once you have asked God to give you direction, then there's several questions you need to ask yourself. The first one is, what am I particularly good at? As I said earlier, personal talents or skills are not necessarily the same as spiritual gifts, but they often overlap. And sometimes what you're especially good at may very well be a reflection of your spiritual gift. And so you need to think about that. If you are wonderful at giving parties and making people feel welcome into your home, then you may very well have the gift of hospitality, for instance. Now, when you ask what you're particularly good at, and it might be a reflection of your spiritual gift, if, for example, you are especially good at hang gliding... It's certainly possible that you have the gift of faith or prayer or even of healing. But it would be unlikely that you have the gifts of wisdom or discernment. All jokes aside, consider what you're good at. Then ask yourself a second question. What gives you the greatest joy? What do you enjoy? What do you look forward to? Some people hate to invite people into their home and some people can't look forward, just cannot wait for the next opportunity they have to have a party. While what you're good at may or may not reflect your spiritual gift, what gives you joy, what gives you the greatest satisfaction, very likely is a sign of your giftedness. Now that doesn't always mean it's going to be easy for you. People say they hate public speaking. In fact, they say that in America, at least, that speaking in public is the number one thing people are afraid of, more than snakes or spiders or even dying. I've never had a problem with it. And yet there are other things that make me terribly nervous. I, for instance, hate to sing in public, and I've always felt very bad about that. But because of my job here, I have learned to sing and actually take joy in it. But I had to be willing to make the effort. Used to be every time I try to open my mouth to sing in public, I, you know, I just choke up. So sometimes we have to be willing to overcome an initial reluctance in order to discover the joy in some things. And trust me, there is simply no greater joy to be found 
than to put yourself in the place that God wants you to be, doing what God has gifted you for. There is a satisfaction in that that nothing else can match. You find yourself in that rhythm. The first time I ever went sailing and somebody was teaching me to sail, when we got in just the right place and we were in rhythm with the water and the sail was catching the wind just right and the boat settles into it. Did anybody sail? Do you know what I'm talking about? When you get in just that place and the boat almost sighs and you go, this is it. That's what it feels like when you are expressing and using the gift that God has given you. You know you're in the right place, doing the right thing. And then finally, ask yourself, and especially ask God, how he might want you to be of service in and through the church. You might be surprised by the answer, but if you will listen and respond, it will without doubt lead you into a kind of service that will bring you great joy. How exciting it would be if every one of us, if every Christian here at Lakeside Presbyterian, every Christian in our larger community, if we could all accept the responsibility to identify and use the gifts that have been given to us by God the Holy Spirit and use those gifts in service to God first and then to other people. How exciting, how very, very exciting that would be. Amen.